Well, tonight, um, tonight is actually going to be our last lesson. I, I know we signed up for four weeks, uh, and I wanted to give it extra time because I didn't know how much how time was going to get through all the material. And there's, even beyond what you're going to learn tonight, there is just so much more evidence out there backing up the scriptures, backing up the resurrection of, of Christ and everything. And I encourage you guys to look into that. I mean, I, I'll admit it. I, I'm, I'm a nerd. I like history. I like all this kind of stuff. But we do, eat, whether or not you're into history and researching this kind of stuff, I encourage you to do it in, in opening to our final lesson because really, honestly, the scriptures command, not command us, but they, they tell us. First Peter 3.15 tells us, be ready to have an answer. And that, and that doesn't conflict with the scriptures. Jesus does promise the Holy Spirit will guide us and give us the words to say, but it's, there's nothing wrong about preparing and knowing why we believe what we believe. What I, what I have in my hands here, this is a, this is a great book and a great resource uh, for anybody. It's The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. This is one of my sources uh, by Gary Habermas and Michael R. Lacona. Um, what I want to point out, uh, these two men who authored this book, they've been doing research since the 70s. And this, I believe this book, book has been written, was written within the last 20 years, published in 2004. Um, but what I wanted to say is, is uh, in their research for this book, uh, they both studied over 4,000 articles, books, by different scholars, both believers and skeptics. And they didn't put a percentage on it, but they basically gave the indication that they looked at more skeptical scholar work than believers because they wanted to be fair. They didn't want to just study 90% believers and only like 10% skeptics. And why I say that tonight is that the stuff that we're going to go over is greatly agreed upon by skeptics and uh, um, believers who are scholars. And, and, and I, I, I know I pointed this out over the last couple of weeks, but I want you to understand, like, these are real, like, real deal scholars. And I'm not insulting anybody out there that, but like, these are men who are doctorate, who've got their doctorates. They, this is their life. This is what they do. And whether they're believers or skeptics, they agree upon the evidence. They come to different conclusions, but the evidence they agree upon. And we're going to look at tonight in our final lesson, can we trust the Bible? Well, the centerstone of Christianity and, uh, hello, the center, oh, this is just, uh, you have this on your pages, but once again, I always like to go over that. I just didn't make this stuff up. There's a ton of resources out there, even beyond what I have on your pages and on the board up here. But the center stone of Christianity is, did Jesus rise from the dead? That central question. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, Paul the Apostle says our faith is useless. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it proves that he is not who he said he is. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it proves that he was not qualified to take away our sins, that he was a regular old Joe sinner like us, and we are doomed, basically. So, and, and to our whole faith and everything. So, the resurrection of Jesus is so attacked because it is the cornerstone. And here's something else that's interesting, and you can, look, you can research this. Christianity compared to other religions. Other religions their foundation of those religions is based solely on the, on the teachings of their founder. Christianity is completely different. Our foundation, of course we have the teachings of Jesus, but our foundation is based on the death and resurrection of our of the of founder, if you will, Jesus. Completely different. No other faith has that kind of uh, foundation. So it is so key that... Uh, that um, to believing and backing up the resurrection. And the problem is, is many will not listen in regards to the resurrection because, and I've heard this many times, they believe it as a fairy tale. People, people just dismiss it due to, because they just believe in, nat, in the natural world and everything, but they fail to recognize one, one possibility. If it, and this blows my mind that, that no one stops and just th- thinks, gives this a thought. If there is a God, why is the resurrection of the dead why does that seem impossible? Am I right? Like, you know what I mean? If there's a God, why is stuff like this impossible? I've heard people like, uh, like laugh at you know stuff like Joshua telling the sun to stand still or the Red Sea parting. And they're like, all baloney, all hogwash. But if there is a God, why? Just for argument's sake, okay, you don't may not believe there's a God like somebody, but but for argument's sake, if there is a God, that stuff isn't just Hogwarts. That could have actually happened, because if there is a God, that means that he's got the power to do stuff like that. Sorry, you can tell I'm getting passionate about it. Um, 
But anyway, people just dismiss it. And a lot of Christians will say that, you know, and I'm not knocking any Christians, but they'll just say, well, listen, I, I trust the, trust the Bible. It says that Jesus rose. Well, skeptics will tell, skeptics will respond by saying that, well, that's fine. But listen, if something like that actually happened, there should be some historical data to back it up. And there is. Now, when we talk, when you talk to anyone about the resurrection of Jesus, we use what um, an actual Dr. Habermas calls the minimal facts approach. Simply this. There's a lot of stuff that you can look at revolving around the resurrection of Jesus, but the minimal facts approach is this. It is that you focus on evidence that is highly agreed upon by scholars who are both believers and skeptics. So if we put a percentage on it, like 90% plus of scholars agree upon the eight facts that we are going to go over. Well, wait, let me back that up. 90% or so agree on seven of the eight facts, and 75% agree on the last fact that we'll look on, but that's still pretty high. So you focus on these kind of things. Um, So let us get down to it. What is the historical evidence that backs up the resurrection of Jesus? The first and foremost, which is very important, the resurrection is attested to by multiple independent sources. See, when you have multiple sources of an event, it adds to credibility. Now, yes, in our courts of law, now sometimes... Um, defense or prosecutors may only have one witness and they'll, they'll go off of that. But sometimes it's hard when there's only one witness because, you know, it could be someone's word against the others. But when more and more people come out, doesn't mean something is definitely true, but when more and more people are coming out and saying something is true and actually happened, it does lend to credibility. Well, we have at least seven written sources by authors who say they were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. We know Paul, Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, Jude, Peter, and why is this important? Well, like I said, why is it important? More people that come forward, the more likelihood that the situation actually happened. And once again, these documents by these men all show great compatibility. We looked over that, we looked at that over the last couple of weeks that there's not contradictions in the stories. They all are compatible. And here's the other thing. There were many, many followers of this man Jesus. Scholars, scholars attest to that. If things did not happen the way that the apostles claimed that they had, the way that these men said that they did, you would think that there would be other writings somewhere in the first century combating these Gospels, but you don't find that. Now, people might say, well, maybe we haven't found it yet. Listen, if there was anything from a real disciple of Jesus that said contrary to, what, contrary to Christianity, you can bet the enemies of Jesus would have grabbed that disciple, written a billion letters and everything, and... It would have been spread everywhere to help uh, their case. We would have found some. That, that's granted. That's more my opinion, but that that is, I think, very likely. Here's a couple. Here's a couple examples from other religions with this fact. So, with Islam, you have the Prophet Muhammad. Muhammad says, and actually, and I also want to point out Joseph Smith. If you don't know, Joseph Smith is the founder of the Mormon faith. Both of these men, in their religions say that they were visited by an angel of God. I think both men said it was the angel Gabriel. I apologize, I didn't double check on that, but I think they both said it was the angel Gabriel. Came to them with great new revelations from God and all this kind of stuff. Here's the problem with their issues. They're the only ones who say they witnessed the angel. Just ignore that, it's the computer. <laughs> They're the only ones who claim to have witnessed the angel. There is no other sources besides these men. With the resurrection account, that is not the case. You have multiple people, written sources, that say that this event actually happened. The second fact, so we have the first fact, there's multiple independent sources. The second fact that backs up the resurrection is this, that the resurrection of Jesus is attested to by known enemies. You have the the writings of the apostle Paul. See, listen, see, we can all agree that whenever you have someone who is a clear opponent of something, but then comes forward later and says, whoa, I was wrong, this is accurate, that lends credibility to something. You, you, you'd agree? That lends credibility. Well, we have that. We, we have that in two people, Paul and James. And you see, I wrote up here on the board, is the writings of Paul are believed to have been written by the man whose name they bear. That's another thing. You get a lot of people saying... Well, how do we know this was written by Paul? How do we know? 
scholars, once again, agree. They, their conclusions are different, but they agree that the, gospel, that the Gospels and the writings of Paul are by the men whose name they bear. But we know Paul. He was an opponent of Christ. He persecuted the church. We had documentation from Luke and Paul's own words that he was changed by an appearance of the resurrected Christ years after the event. He had a great conversion. And that, and that is key right here. Why is this key? Scholars believe that this to be true, and it was years after this event. Why it's key with Paul is because he wasn't part of the original disciples. He may, the, we don't know where he was. He may have been around. I'm sure he had heard of Jesus and everything. Even if he lived up, even if he was in his hometown of Antioch, far, or no, no, Tarsus was his hometown, sorry. But um, I'm sure he heard of Jesus, but he wasn't a part of that crowd. So he was separated from the initial resurrection and everything. So years later, he has a conversion after being an enemy. Um, and he, like I said, that is the uniqueness of Paul's conversion. Because here's the other thing. Hang on, I'm getting there. Oh, the, the other unique thing is that Paul claims in his writings that he did not become a, a believer because of, of secondhand knowledge. He didn't know Peter, James, and, 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 and all of them. He became a believer because he said Jesus showed up and appeared to him, which is, which is, which is crazy. Not, 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 I mean, you know what I mean? Because like normally people become believers because they're told about something. Paul wasn't told about nothing. He just became a believer. And here's the other thing. Paul suffered. Paul willingly suffered and died proclaiming his beliefs. And that is backed up by, the, by Luke and letters of the apostolic fathers report about his suffering and death. That he willingly went to his grave. Uh, and it, it's, they've said he was actually be, uh, beheaded. The other skeptic uh, enemy was James. Does anybody know who James was in, in, the, in the New Testament? He was the brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus. And if you read in the Gospel account of John, he was an enemy of Jesus. Well, in, in this sense, he thought his brother was a fraud. John records that, he thought, that his brothers thought he was a fraud. And then we learn, we learn that there was an early creed, which we're going to get into, that says that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared separately to his brother James. And why that's important is because, once again, James was not part of the original believers. He was separate. He wasn't hanging out with his brother and his disciples. He was probably in Jerusalem during the Passover and stuff. But Jesus appeared to his brother separately. And James became a radical believer, that, which is attested to by Luke, which is also, a, he, and also um, the famous um, Jewish historian Josephus mentions James, the brother of Jesus, in his writings. And he also says that he died by the hand of the Jewish leaders basically proclaiming that his brother was Lord, Savior, and risen from the dead. And once again, so that is two enemies of Jesus that were radically, tra- that, that were radically transformed. And once again, scholars attest to that and say that is accurate, that they, they, you had these enemies that were radically transformed after the death of Jesus. So what is the... Oh, I guess I had all this too. There we go. The, th- the next piece of evidence. The Gospels report of damaged witnesses being, uh, of damaged witnesses seeing the resurrected of Christ. So what do I mean by damaged women? Well, first of all, let, let me get, let me, no, sorry. Damaged witnesses, sorry. I'll explain what I mean, sorry. I'm talking, I need to, I need to slow down. Can I get a glass of water? Somebody grab me a glass of water? Sorry, I'm talking too fast. When I, here's what the fourth fact deals with. Whenever you have a written source, whether ancient, thank you, whether, whether ancient, modern, whatever, whenever you have a source material that mentions something that the authors know would be embarrassing or hurt their case, that adds to the credibility of it. Because think about it. If you're making something up, if you're making a story up, would you make, wouldn't you make sure that your story was flawless? Wouldn't you make sure that there's no damaging material in there? But if you are writing something and you admit that there's a piece of evidence in here that would be that would hurt you, that kind of adds that maybe you are telling the truth. Now, what are we getting to right here? Does anybody know who was the first people to see Jesus? Who was the first person to see the resurrected Christ? All 
four Gospels record women as the first witnesses to the empty tomb. And Mary Magdalene, it's believed, was the first person to see Jesus alive. Now, the sad reality of this is, and Jesus was very radical because he treated women as equals with great respect. But the ancient world, for many, many millennia, did not treat women. We love, we love you ladies, just saying, you know. But, um, but in ancient Israel and the ancient world, women could not testify in court. Their testimony, in any case, was not found to be credible in any way, which is a shame. Um, so, I bring that up as the fact that why would the gospel writers, if they're making this up, have women be the first to find Jesus if they know that in their day and age that women were, couldn't even testify in court, could, that their, 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 their you know, witness to something would not really be found credible. But all four Gospels record this. Now, sure, a skeptic could say, well, maybe just maybe they were being clever. <sighs> I mean, here's the thing. The four Gospels are written by four independent men. Maybe one of them, but you're going to tell me four independent men all got that clever and were making, making this all up? Uh, no, not in that day, not in that day and age. Listen, the disciples had respect of the, of women like Jesus. I believe that, but they weren't getting clever. They were reporting on what actually happened. And you would not, listen, if you were making this up, if you were making this up, you'd have Peter be the first to find Jesus. The John, the apostle that Jesus loved. You know, one of the, one of the big, big names up there, they would be the first to find Jesus. But no, not at all. Jesus, I, I do find it beautiful, actually, in my personal opinion, that Jesus chose to appear to, first of all, a woman who had been downcast by society. But By the way, just as a side note, something that I always find I, that really bugs me, sometimes movies bug me when they just take gospel accounts or biblical accounts and just make it different. Every movie like I watch that's not word for word the Bible has Mary Magdalene being a prostitute. Why does that drive me nuts? Because none of the gospels say she was a prostitute. Sorry for yelling into the mic if you're listening. Um, the gospels never, ever, ever say she's a prostitute. This is all we know about Mag- Mary Magdalene. She's from I think I don't think Magdalene was her last name. I think that represented the town she was from or something. But she was possessed by seven demons, and Jesus delivered her. That's pretty much all we know. Could she have been a prostitute? Sure. Bible doesn't tell us. But it's just funny that like they always assume she was. I'm like, anyway. Sorry, just had to get that out of the way. Any questions so far? We're good, okay. Moving on, what is the next fact that helps back up the resurrection of Jesus? Well, not that. We already talked about that. Yeah, I should keep clicking. Okay. Jesus died by crucifixion. Now, obviously, you can't have a resurrection unless the person's actually dead first, right? I mean, that, if Jesus was already alive, that wouldn't. Okay, that was funny. But um, Jesus died by crucifixion. So what is the evidence that backs this up? All four gospel accounts plus the New Testament documents... Back this up. Now, a skeptic will stop you and say, like, well, that's the Bible. I don't, I don't believe that. You stop a skeptic right there and just say, listen, I understand. You don't have to accept this as the word of God, but what this is at the bare minimum, they are historical documents from the first century. And you can tell them. Scholars accept that they were written by Paul, that they were actually written by the people that they claim to be written by. So you don't have to believe they're the word of God, but they're still ancient documents that record this man Jesus, and they record his... Um, record his crucifixion. But here's the thing. These documents are backed up by non-Christian sources. You see right there, Josephus, Tacitus, Lucian, Marabar, Serapian. What a name. Um, but those four record the, resur- uh, I'm sorry, record the death of Jesus Christ. They record that this man Jesus was killed and in one or two of them mention Pontius Pilate. So, like, the death of this man Jesus, yes, he act, not only did he exist, but he was put to death by crucifixion by Pontius Pilate. Scholars have no problem accepting that. So Jesus actually died. And then, I'm getting ahead of myself, but a lot of times, there, there's one opposing theory that people have that Jesus didn't die on the cross, right? That Jesus didn't die on the cross. It's called the swoon theory. 
So the swoon theory says that Jesus passed out on the cross. They thought he was dead, took him down, wrapped him up, put him, and in the cool of the tomb, he kind of revived, unwrapped himself, got out of the tomb and appeared to the disciples. And they were like, whoa, he rose from the dead. Okay, here's the pro- there's several problems with that theory. Number one, historically, Romans were just good, they, they were good at killing people. If you don't know this, Romans crucified 6,000 people in one day at one point. You look this up. Crazy. They knew when someone was dead. And the historical documents we have from the first century, the New Testament documents, report that Jesus of Nazareth was also speared in the side to prove he was dead. And they concluded, by by the way, the water and the blood flowed out that he was dead. And let's say he wasn't dead at that point. Well, the spear and everything, he had just bled to death at that point. But let's say he didn't die. Let's say he came down from the cross. They wrapped his body up and put it in the tomb. Okay, so he wakes up beaten and just impaled on his hands. Somehow he's able to get these wrappings off of him. Okay, because he's basically tied up. So you get these wrappings off of him. Then, okay, let's say he does that. There's this massive stone that one guy pretty much couldn't move, let alone someone who was crucified. So let's even say that he was somehow able to do that. He would have showed up to his disciples a bloody mess. There is no way the disciples would have said, dude, he rose from the dead. No. They would have been like, wow, we're glad you're alive, but man, you're a mess. No. Yeah, they, they, that, so it, that theory just makes no sense by any leaps and bounds. So Jesus of Nazareth did die by crucifixion. The next thing, scholars all agree that Jesus had a large following of disciples that believed he really rose from the dead. They claimed that he rose from the dead and were radically changed after this man's death. You have um, <clears throat> you have the ancient writings that attest to these beliefs in the, in the in the resurrection on the. Um, and the belief of the disciples. You have the Apostle Paul. He records that the original disciples claim the resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 9-11, and then, and then in Galatians 2, 1-10. And here's the thing that we need to understand. Paul's writings were equal on the authoritative level to the original apostles. How do we know that? Well, number one, Paul himself claims that. The second thing is, Paul knew several of the, the apostles after he became a Christian, Peter, James, and John, so he had fellowship and he was, he was part of them. Luke, in Acts, reports that Paul knew and fellowshiped with the original disciples, but here's also the key. In the, uh, for, I think it's 2 Peter. 2 Peter, so Peter, by his own words, and other apostol- apostolic fathers of the first century all acknowledge Paul's authority. Peter refers to Paul's letters as scripture. So Paul was absolutely on the same par with the original apostles in their authority. Um, so his writings back up that he says that the original apostles did proclaim a resurrection. The, the, the late uh, first century fathers of the church, they also acknowledge that. The three, three specific fathers are, do I have them? Yeah, there it is. Polycarp, who, was, um, who knew John. Uh, Clement of Rome, who knew Peter. And I don't have his name up here, but Ignatius. Ignatius, who knew John as well. These men in their writings report of the resurrection and that the orig- and the dis- this is what the disciples held to. The other thing, do I put it up here? Yes. The other thing that backs up that the original disciples proclaimed a resurrection, that it wasn't made up later, is the oral tradition. Now, where do we get the knowledge from the oral tradition from? We get it from 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8. And I've put it up there on the board, and I will read it to you. This is from Paul as he's explaining, as he's getting ready to give a sermon on the resurrection, pretty much. Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. So he's saying right off the bat, this is what the core of our belief is. And this is what I was taught. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. 
So this is a creed that Paul is saying. He's delivering to the Corinthians what he originally was taught. And it, by sco- scholars date that Paul became a Christian sometime probably in the mid to late 30s. And they date the crucifixion of Jesus at AD 30. So this is within 10 years. Not a lot of time for, for myth or legend to, to, to uh, come about. Now here's the thing. Now a skeptic will stop you and say, like, well, wait a minute. Once again, okay, this is a historical document, but Paul's just saying this. How do we know this is an actual creed? How do we know that this is a creed from the original disciples? Um, oops. The first thing, Paul states that he's delivering what he was taught. So he, we, you know, we're take, take Paul at his own words. He's saying that this is what he was delivered, so he didn't make this up. The second thing, giving you a little Greek and, and Aramaic tonight, but the Greek term... Greek term hote, which means and that, or just and, is, a, is common in creeds that they find of the day. And Paul uses this term a lot in connecting the dots in the creed. The Greek words for received and delivered are the same words that, are, that rabbis use to pass on tradition that Paul uses right here. Paul calls Peter, in the original Greek, like when you read, when you read it on the screen, it said Peter, but in the, in the original Greek, Paul uses the word Cephas, or Cephas, in the Greek writing, which, which is the other name that Peter went by, which means rock. Cephas is Aramaic. Why is that important? Because the original apostles, not, not everyone read, uh, they all probably spoke Aramaic, even though Greek was the language that united the empire. In Israel, they basically spoke Aramaic. And that was probably what they called Peter. The fact that he uses the Aramaic name for Peter means that that's what was, that's, that it was probably given to him in Aramaic when he was being taught it. And he, cause he, cause Paul, being a, a very learned, skilled man, he used the Greek language all the time. He probably would have used the Greek, the Greek name for Peter if he was just making this up. But he doesn't. He uses the Aramaic name for Peter, showing that he was pro, this, that he was this is what was passed on to him, and the original disciples would have used, would have spoken to him more in the Aramaic language. Um, here's another thing, too, which is interesting. Paul uses terms in this section that he does not use throughout his other letters. For example, the term for our sins, when he's referring to Jesus, Paul doesn't really use that term, those terms like that. According to the scriptures, believe it or not, Paul doesn't really use that, that type of language elsewhere. And the third thing, when he says, and the twelve, Paul doesn't use that, that elsewhere. So him using terms that he doesn't really use where we see in his other letters adds that he, this is something that he was, that he was reciting that had been originally taught to him, that he wasn't making it up. The sixth thing, which you saw already, is the stylization of content. Basically, it's, what I mean is the fourfold pattern. Basically, Paul is very direct. He goes, Death of Jesus, burial of Jesus. He rose from the dead, and he appeared like it was bump, 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 bump. He didn't like it. He didn't expand on anything. He was just like direct. And a creed would have been short, like like what we read right here, because a lot of people didn't read and write. Oral tradition was very important. You wanted to come up with stuff that was short and kind of easier to remember. And and that creed was only really about like maybe four four sentences or whatever. <sighs> Take a breath. Does that does this kind of make sense? A little bit. You can ask me any question you want. I, I got time for stuff. Dad, you got anything? Nothing? Okay. So when is the creed dated? Once again, most scholars, believers, and um, skeptics date the creed mid-30s, about five years after the crucifixion. The latest that, that scholars have dated it, early 40s. But that's, they're in the minority. No one dates it later than that. And here's the thing. Even if it's the later date, you're talking about like 10 years after the crucifixion. Not long enough for legend or myth. There would have been enough people around to combat a story if it wasn't real after 10 years. Here's, something real, um, here's some points to be noted about the creed here. It's the, it's the early testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Claims to be from eyewitnesses. Shows that hundreds of people saw Jesus alive. People that would have known Paul was lying if they heard this creed. They'd be like, whoa, I was there. That didn't happen. And two of them included skeptics, which was James and Paul. I wanted to read you. I didn't put, up, put this up on the board, but I wanted to read you a couple quotes from non-Christian scholars that, that talk about this, this uh, creed right here. Um, <clears throat> a scholar, Robert Funk, he is, not, he is not a believer, but he says this about the creed. 
He says the conviction that Jesus had risen from the dead had already taken root by the time Paul was converted about 33 A.D. On the assumption that Jesus died about 30 A.D., the time for development was thus two or three years at most. Wow. Atheist professor Gerd Ludemann states, the elements in the tradition are to be dated to the first two years after the crucifixion of Jesus, not later than three years. The formation of the appearance the appearance traditions mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8 falls into the time between 30 and 33 AD. So these two guys are putting the creed as late as 33, like three years after Jesus. People that don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. But they're backing up that this is what the original apostles believed. Pretty cool. And once again, the oral tradition matches the written tradition which is very, very important. The, sec- the next fact that scholars agree upon is that the disciples' actions further proved they really believed this guy Jesus rose from the dead. It is well documented that early Christians were persecuted and killed. It is well documented that they boldly proclaimed that th- to their own harm that Jesus rose. Is that me? Yep, yep, it's just my wife. Um, they gain nothing for their faith, and they also, it is documented as well that the disciples originally abandoned him and then were transformed after his death. This is documented by the following people Luke, the book of Acts, Clement of Rome, he, he records the suffering and death of Peter and Paul. I mentioned Ignatius. Uh, He mentions the courage of the apostles after seeing the resurrected Christ. We have Polycarp, who also reports of the suffering of Paul and other apostles. We have, uh, I hope I pronounced these names right, but Dionysus of Corinth, as cited by the historian Eusebius. He records the sufferings of early believers. Tertullian, he records the sufferings of the church. Church Father Origen. Tacitus mentions the persecution of Nero. The Jewish historian Josephus reports the death of James, brother of Jesus, at the hands of Jewish believers and other persecutions. The, rec- the sufferings of the apostles are recorded in, in early times by both believers and non-believers. These men went to their graves, proclaiming Jesus rose from the dead. Important notes about the suffering is the willingness of early believers to suffer and die is evidence of the sincerity of Jesus' belief. Because listen, people die for their beliefs all the time. And they really believe it's true. But they're hearing about it secondhand. The situation with Jesus is so unique because the original apostles and followers of Christ would have known if Jesus really didn't rise and, they didn't, and he didn't appear to them, they would have known it was a lie. They would have known it was a lie. Why do you make up something? Spread this doctrine across the empire when you gain nothing. No material wealth. No political advantages. You gain nothing except persecution, hatred, death. I mean, and the worst kinds of death, too. Paul Paul being beheaded, that was merciful. Christians were literally hung as light posts and burned to death in the cities of Rome. Look that up. They were thrown to the lions. Imagine being eaten by a lion for for entertainment. Why do you make this up? You can listen, if it's two or three people, you could say, like, ah, these maybe they're just nuts. But hundreds? Hundreds of people? Five at least 512, 13 people? All of them? That nuts? When you're gaining nothing? And listen, so, I, somebody said this to me years ago about that, this, fact, this, this statement. They said, well, it's very possible one of those guys did confess and we just, we just don't know about it. I'm going to say this. Like I said, I'm not a scholar. I'm not going to pretend to be a scholar. But I think it's very rational to, to believe that if you had an original follower of Jesus that came forward in those first 20 years, 30 years, when people are being persecuted and killed and they're suffering, and they come forward and they say, no, it's made up. 
didn't happen the way it said. Man, you can bet the enemies of Jesus would have, whether it's the Romans or the Jewish leaders, they would have grabbed this guy or woman, whoever it was, they would have grabbed them. They would have documented well their sayings, and you would have bet it would have been, copies would have been spread throughout the empire to combat this. You know that that would have absolutely happened. And you know, and, here, and here's evidence to back my theory up. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself again. But it's but it, it spread across the empire. We know this from the writings of church fathers. The lie, or well, well, it is a lie, but the lie of the um, oh my goodness, the Jewish the Jewish leaders that the disciples stole the body. It was well documented even in the second century. Other church people are talking about that this is just still being spread around. So we have evidence that that enemies the enemies of Jesus their stuff was spreading. They were trying to get stuff. If someone came forward and said, Jesus didn't rise, I was there, oh, you better believe we'd, we'd have found something. Because the enemies of Jesus would have posted it everywhere. Or someone else, another writer, would have saw it and mentioned it in their writings, but you got nothing. So you, no, that's, just, that's just not accurate. None of the, these men all went to their graves saying Jesus had risen, and they would have known it was a lie. The last piece of evidence... And I've got more, a little more to go over you. Now, this one piece of evidence is not agreed into the 90 percentile, like I was saying, but that Jesus of Nazareth, that his tomb was empty. About seven, according, to, according to Gary Habermas and Michael Lycona, about 75% of scholars agree upon this, which is still pretty high. So you're basically saying three out of every four scholars will tell you Yes, the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth was empty. So what is the evidence, the historical evidence that backs that up? Well, number one, that the enemies say disciples stole the body. Like I said to you, that is documented by Matthew. That is document. let me read all the names. I don't think I put them up there. The names of who. So um, it's documented by Matthew. It's documented by Justin Mar- Mar- Martyr, Marte, I-, I never pronounced that right, by uh, Trifo and Tertullian. Those four men, and they're not all first century. Some are writing, um, I think Justin Martyr was at least second century. So why would the enemies of Jesus accuse the disciples of stealing his body if the tomb wasn't empty? The second thing that helps back this up, there's no documentation whatsoever of a body trying to be produced. If Jesus had not risen, the enemies would have, his enemies would have simply gone to the tomb and shown a body. Now, here's the thing. Some people have argued that, well, it makes sense that they wouldn't have tried to produce a body because uh, the disciples started preaching about Jesus a couple months after his death, so the body would have been decomposed and it wouldn't have mattered anyway. However, scholarly research has shown that even though it was about 50 days, almost two months after the death of Jesus, the dry weather climate of Jerusalem and the Jewish embalming procedures of the time, even back then, the body would still, even after that, being sealed in that tomb, had been recognizable enough where the stature, hair, wounds would have easily still been visible enough to say, yes, this was Jesus of Nazareth. And here's the other thing. The tomb of Jesus would have been well-known. Jesus was, was incredibly popular. Incredibly popular. He, 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 for his time, you know, his time period and everything. His enemies absolutely knew where his tomb was. His disciples absolutely knew where his tomb was. So believe me, even after the three-day period had gone by, you know, let's say Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you better believe that, you better believe that the enemies of Jesus probably would have been keeping an eye on that tomb one way or another. And if the disciples all of a sudden come out and say he rose from the dead, they'd go to the, the tomb and say, no, mm-mm, there's a, there's, a bo- there's a body right there. So here's the thing. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, whether the body was decayed or not, even if the body was, was decayed badly, a body in the tomb hurts Christianity. You know what I mean? And it, but there's no, do- you, no documentation whatsoever on that. And you would definitely think, that is something that we would find documentation on, that they, that they tried to bring out a body, but there isn't, which backs up that the tomb was empty. And once again, the testimony of the women. You would not, if you're making this up and the tomb wasn't empty, you would not have women being the first witnesses to the empty tomb because they just weren't reliable in court. The testimony and this evidence definitely 
definitely lends to that the tomb of Jesus was empty. So those are the general historic facts that historians agree heavily upon. Now, of course, this is where the divide comes. Believers say that the reason, and what, 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 what's the reason for this evidence? Jesus really rose from the dead. The skeptics would still argue, no, that's not the case. So, what do scholars try to come up with to try to oppose the resurrection of Jesus despite the evidence? The number one, they still say that the resurrection was, was embellished. You know, they, they, trying to honor Jesus. But we, we've gone over this. There just was not time for any embellishment. There are some people who will tell you that Jesus' deity and resurrection was a formulation of things that took decades or even centuries and really didn't come about to the 4th century, the 300s. But we see that the, the historical evidence destroys that theory because there is so much evidence from the 1st century within... My goodness, within 70, 80 years of Christ, easy that the followers of Jesus believed he was God, believed he had rose from the dead. So it, it just there wasn't enough time. And there would have been enough people alive at the time. There would have been enough people alive at the time to come forward and document, hey, these Christians are saying this. I was there. They didn't believe he was God. Uh, the next thing that, that um, they try to say is that the writers did not mean for the resurrection accounts to be taken literally. In other words, like, the teachings of Jesus, yeah, they were real. He was really a good guy. He did a lot of good things. He was killed, but we're going to honor Jesus' legacy by, you know, we're kind of really say his, his legacy lives, lives forever. You know, so they kind of came up with this thing about the resurrection. The problem with this theory, let me find my spot real quick. The problem was, okay, the problem with this theory is that you have, first of all, evidence of an empty tomb. I agree. It's only set, I shouldn't say only, but you have evidence for an empty tomb, so you have that. Here's the thing. This kind of thing doesn't explain Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle was later. Scholars agree he was separate from the original apostles. At least three years later, he was an educated man. He would, would he really have taken part in all of this if it wasn't true? And here's the thing. When you read the Gospel accounts... It is clear they're meant as history. They're reporting real events. They're reporting events that they're saying actually happened. Scholars would tell you that in reality, the four gospel writers, these are not meant to be literal or uh, metaphorical accounts. These are meant to be literal historical things that actually happened. There's no evidence that the, that the disciples were trying to be figurative. Um, and here's the fourth thing that, ba- that kind of, um, goes against this uh, theory is that the response of early critics reveal the disciples truly believed Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples weren't being figurative. They, were, they really believed that he rose from the dead. The next opposing theory, oh, I guess it got two right there, but the third opposing theory is that, well, yeah, all right, they say Jesus rose from the dead, but other religions claim the same thing. There's other resurrected figures in Greek mythology and pagan mythology they're referring to um, people like Hercules, um, the pagan gods Marduk and Adonis. The scholars are saying that, well, there, there's, there's some resurrection accounts in there, but here, here's the problem with that theory. When scholars analyze these other supposed resurrection accounts and the resurrection of Jesus, there's no parallel. Because they would say, see, the, the people of this, this theory would say, like, well, the disciples were like uh, kind of borrowing stuff from other religions. But scholars would say, but there's nothing, these other accounts nowhere near parallel, parallel the, the resurrection of Jesus. For example, the god uh, Hercules, who was kind of like the, the son of Zeus, um, there's like vague accounts, and it basically what, the, what they have of him is they say they, he died a violent death and he rose to, rose to heaven upon the horse Pegasus, but that's kind of all we get. Um, the, and the early, those pagan gods that I mentioned, the earliest accounts that mention those gods never mention a death, death or resurrection for those guys. They came like centuries later. Um, and all of these other accounts that we do have are vague compared to Jesus. Like Jesus' accounts are detailed, very detailed. These other religions that they're saying the apostles borrowed from, there's not much to borrow from. And here's the other thing. Um, there's another, another account I didn't mention, but the only... Post uh, pre Jesus resurrection account from like another religion is the Egyptian god Osiris. I think it is. Let me see if I have it mentioned right here. 
I don't have, oh yeah, no, the, the Egyptian god Osiris. Um, but here's the thing. Even though he, that predates Jesus, this is the story, the, the brief story of Osiris. Um, he was killed, cut up into many pieces. Most, yes, I say most, of his parts were reassembled and he was brought back to life and he was made a god of the underworld. Okay. And in the story of him, he's not even the main guy. Like, he's not even the focal point of, of this, of the story. You know what I mean? Like, he's not even the hero of the story. Jesus is clearly the central figure of the Gospels. And the thing with uh, Osiris, there's no historical data to back him up. You just have an ancient story. That's it. So, like, the disciples were not, were not, were not stealing this from anyone. Um, the fourth thing, which is the obvious one, they'll say, well, it was just fraud. The disciples made it up. They lied or someone else stole the body. Listen. We talked about that. There's just the evidence is clear. These disciples really believed he rose from the dead. They were not making anything up. And once again, if the disciples lied or stole the body, that doesn't explain James or Paul because James or Paul were not with the original apostles. Yes, James was, you know, he was there at the time, but he wasn't with them. He thought his brother he thought his brother was a fraud, so he wasn't hanging out when his brother died. He he might have been upset, but who knows? He might have been saying, ah, he brought it on himself. And we don't know the details, but somehow James is just hanging out and his brother shows up alive and well. And his brother's like, whoa. And his brother ends up becoming a leader in the church and dying for his faith that his brother was the son, was the son of God. Um, some, some have suggested that, this is, some have suggested this, they went to the wrong tomb. Well, this one could easily have been Corrected. People have suggested that the women disciples went to the wrong tomb. This is just not plausible. Because Jesus was such a public figure that his enemies would have, they, they followed where he was, one of their own, Joseph of Arimathea, it was his tomb. They went, they made sure they knew where he was, they knew where it was. Here's the thing. Yeah, they had guards. Well, yeah, according to Matthew, they had guards there. Here's the other thing, too. If they went to the wrong, let's say it was the early morning hours, and maybe they just made an error, when it got light out, the enemies of Jesus would have went to the tomb and been like, oh, dummies, it's the wrong tomb. This is right there. You know what I mean? Like, we would have documentation of that. We, would have, we have no documentation. That could, the wrong tomb theory easily could have been corrected. And even the wrong tomb theory, once again, it doesn't explain Paul. It doesn't explain James, who say they saw, and really Paul, because Paul was three years later and he, saw, he says he saw Jesus. And there's no sources that say that, they, that, say that the wrong tomb was visited. Um, we talked about this one already. Jesus didn't die on the cross. The last one, that they say, well, okay, well, they really believed it. You know what? They were probably hallucinating. They were probably traumatized or some people will go as far as to say that maybe they were on some kind of drugs or whatever, something, and they all hallucinated, had a bad trip or something. Or really a lot of people would try to say they were just so traumatized that, oh, wow, you know, in their, in their grief, they, they had the hallucination of Jesus. Well, here's, and, and I encourage you to read, especially in the case for Christ, and, and, and he talks about it in the book that I mentioned, but... Um, Lee Strobel interviewed psychologists. They will tell you that, okay, if one person had a hallucination of Jesus in their grief, the odds that someone else would have the exact same hallucination with the exact same actions, the exact same words, are incredibly, like the odds are astronomically against that, let alone over 500 people. And even if they were doing, let's just say they were all doing some kind of drug, all the same drug. People's brains are, are you know, it, it react differently to stuff. It's scientifically just not possible that over 500 people had the same hallucination. And even, and, and, and like psychiatrists, they'll say this, even let's just even say they saw, all saw Jesus. The odds that he, he all does the same thing, that they're all seeing the same thing and hearing the exact same thing, Completely, there's no grounds for that. They say that that is astronomically like like impossible, like that that is just not plausible that they had a hallucination of Jesus. All of them to where they all collectively talked to one another and said, "Oh, you saw Jesus," and they all agreed on the same thing. They said, "No, that's just psychologists." Psychologists will tell you that's just not possible. Some people will say, "Well, maybe they had a vision." Well, the the question you have to ask yourself is, "Well, if they had a vision, 
What are you talking about? What, what's a vision to you? Because like a vision usually implies a revelation or something like that. And if they had a vision, that usually implies something maybe like supernatural, which in that case would mean they really saw Jesus and he really rose from the dead. You know what I mean? So that doesn't back them up at all. So in, co- in conclusion, what does this evidence mean? Look, does this 100% prove that Jesus rose from the dead? No. But let me tell you this. In our court of laws, when juries convict or acquit people, are they 100% sure that they're innocent or guilty? No. Maybe there's some cases, but most of them, no. They don't have 100% surety. And, and, but, and the reason I point that out is just because you don't have 100% evidence doesn't mean something isn't true. Here's what it means. The evidence proves that this man, Jesus, really existed. I, I, I still remember, it was a long time ago, but I had a, I hate to say argument, but I did. I had an argument with a, with a gentleman, and he was very passionate. He was, he was absolutely passionately telling me Jesus never existed. Never existed. It's all, all made up. And, I, and even at the time, this was a long time ago, and even I told him, I said, from what, what the, what the knowledge I knew then, I said, that's just not true. There's absolutely, and you see the evidence. There is a ton of people. 42 ancient documents mention this man, Jesus. That's a lot of evidence. He existed. His followers, this dude really had followers. Sorry, Lord, to call you dude. Um, His followers really believed he was God, Savior, and King. His followers really believed he rose from the dead. The evidence proves that his followers were transformed after his death. Something happened to radically, to turn them from cowards into champions for their faith, and whether they were, to, they were ready to die for it. And here's the thing of all of this. Scholars on both sides of the coin agree upon the evidence. Yes, they disagree on the conclusion. But you guys, obviously... Does this evidence back up a literal resurrection? You have to say yes. Okay, people might say, well, you know, they don't want to believe it, but come on. When you look at all of this, you have to say you got to consider it. Obviously, we do believe Jesus rose from the dead. And what, and what, this is the one thing that people misunderstand about our faith. People think it's a blind faith. People think that, you know, we have the Bible, but we just simply believe the, the words of, of a book. And we just go off of that. It's not true. There's a lot of evidence to back up that book. To, to say that it's not only accurate, historical, that we can trust what it says. And that this man, Jesus, who's the center of that book, really is who he said he is. And that we can have boldness in our faith. And that you can, and in love, of course, and I want to conclude also by saying this, in love, share with other people. Let's, if people are getting mean with us, just in love, you know, maybe you need to back away from the conversation. But you can have faith sharing Jesus with people because the evidence definitely supports it. And I've been doing other, which I'm not going to, I don't have time to, I, but like I was watching other apologetic stuff to back up the exodus uh, today, which is just really good stuff. But yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. And we can absolutely have, have faith and confidence in that. I guess we're a good, I'll, I'll close in a word of prayer and, then we'll be cool, and you can come talk to me if you want. Father, in conclusion of these lessons, Lord, I just pray that, um, I pray that you know, our faith is strengthened in you. We just don't have a blind faith. You, that you have left real evidence in history. And, Lord, I just pray that we can go with boldness. And if anybody hears these lessons, Lord, online or via CD, I pray it would encourage them. If there's anybody who, ha- who has any of these questions or who's skeptical, I pray that they would just hear and listen. And um, just at least consider the evidence, Lord, and look into it with an open heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray, God, give us safe travels home. Amen.